This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Great to have everyone here. Well done straightening the rows. Howard will stop twitching now. Well done Flick, thank you very much, and all of the willing hands that brought over the many trays of sandwiches. At Grace Church we have sandwich tea every afternoon when we meet, so I think people might start asking me about the availability of Sainsbury's to take up the load on the road to there. Um, My name's John, for those who don't know, pastor at Grace Church. Uh, it's been great to have been hosted by God First in this lovely setting, now that we found it. It's brilliant. Uh, Glenn is going to do two sessions for us, and uh, he, will, he will use his time as he sees fit. But there is a, if you go over your, if you go over your first session, Glenn, we are going to um, start hankering for tea and coffee, need our caffeine and cakes. Do you want to come up here? And um, I'll pray for you, and then it's, the floor is yours. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing Glenn to us safely today, bringing him away from family, but to join us as two church families. And we pray now that you would, um, by your spirit, teach us through your word, through your servant, Glenn, as he takes us to the heart of the gospel uh, in three steps. Would you help him now to take material that might be familiar to him, but is new to many of us, to uh, equip us for the work of telling people the wonderful news of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Excellent. It's all yours. Great. Brilliant. So if we haven't met before, I'm Glenn, and I'm married to Emma, and we live in Eastbourne on the Sunshine Coast. We get more sunshine hours in Eastbourne than anywhere else on mainland UK. So um, my Australian family thinks it's hilarious that we're called the Sunshine Coast, though. They, in Australia, there is a Sunshine Coast, and uh, it's situated about five kilometers from the center of the sun, and you can hear your skin audibly crackling on the Australian Sunshine Coast. Eastbourne's probably a bit nicer than that. Nice dappled hues, that, that kind of... I remember Bill Bryson, you know, the travel writer. He, uh, he said that living in the UK is like living in Tupperware, which I, I find a, a very good illustration because it's just you've got this translucent grey dome over you the entire time, which is just lovely. Um, I am here, and hope you're here too, to think about... The good news of Jesus, how we can know it, love it, and share it with others. Um, so, am I a bit boomy? Am I a bit? I'm a bit boomy. Yeah, I'll I'll just project, and then the the speakers can do some of the rest of the work. Um, great. So, uh, I wonder when you think of an evangelist, uh, we're th- thinking about evangelism. Um, if I was to say, describe to me an evangelist, um, I wonder what you're thinking about. Uh, any, any images come to mind as you think about an evangelist? Um, anyone want to shout out? Instant word association. I say evangelist, you say... Billy Graham. Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Snap. <laughs> yes. Yes, eating locusts. And what was the other one? Camel, yeah, yeah, wearing cattle, camel hair, eating locusts, that kind of voice in the wilderness, crying out. Yes, did you have one? I heard something. A street preacher. An extrovert, yeah. A missionary, and by missionary you mean to the heathen out, out there, far away, yes, crossing an ocean to be a missionary somewhere else, Yeah. Okay. If you're thinking about, are you thinking about an individual probably, because I've said an evangelist, um, what is the gender of the individual you're thinking about? Male. Male. Did anyone instantly think of a woman? 
No, you all want to have thought of a woman now, but, but no, no. So we're thinking about a bloke by himself wearing camel hair, eating locusts, uh, preaching in the streets. He's an extrovert. He's an alpha-type personality. He's got the gift of the gab. He could go door-to-door selling you insurance, uh, but he happens to be selling Jesus. He's, he's just that kind of a guy. Um, now, do you warm to such a person? Hmm. <laughs> it's funny, I, I go around the place and I get people to say, describe to me an evangelist, and they describe the most sort of obnoxious, you know, horrible, you know, uh, motor mouth known to man, and then I kind of reveal that I actually am an evangelist and you've hurt my feelings deeply, and they don't believe me because evangelists don't get their feelings hurt, do they? They wear camel's hair and they eat locusts and they, they get out on the margins and they... Is that what an evangelist is? Um, What I'd love you to do is turn to your neighbor, and let's only spend two minutes on this. I want you to describe somebody who helped you be a Christian today, somebody who shared the Lord with you, somebody who was important to you in your journey of faith, okay? Can you think of somebody? There might have been loads of people. Narrow down to one person, and you tell your neighbor for 60 seconds, and then they can tell you for 60 seconds. Should we go? Let's go. Okay, hopefully you have some, uh, some other adjectives now, um, because the people you're describing now, they are brilliant evangelists, aren't they? The people you've just been describing are sensational evangelists, because here you all are, okay? They've done a brilliant job in sharing Jesus, because they shared Jesus with you. Now, what are some of the adjectives you'd associate with these people? Female? Ah. Yeah, but... Women can evangelize. Who would have thought? Oh, oh. Warm, friend, a friend, kind, patient, authentic. What do you mean by authentic? You see what they're like, and they're, they're an open book to you. Yeah. Encouraging. Challenging. Yeah. In what sense? Was she praying for these different people? Yeah. She was praying for it, and you, you did not, you were, you were on the naughty list. <laughs> she was making a list, checking it twice. <laughs> mm. Wow. And you were the answer to her prayer, I guess. Yeah. So some of that openness, that transparency. Yeah, they're not putting up a, a show or a front. Infectious. Infectious with what? What kind of disease are they spreading? Yeah. And what was it? Because we all want to be that person. Like, like, what was it? Yeah, yeah. And that's using the gift of extroversion in, in its right sense, isn't it? Rather than just hammering people down with your 10,000 ideas that you're downloading on people that actually invested in you and wanted to know about you. And Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So all these people are brilliant evangelists, okay? Um, and yet, when we think of the evangelist... We go to Billy Graham, or we go to the street preacher, and I wonder why it is that we don't think of the people that we've just been thinking of, and I wonder whether part of it is um, both evangelists and non-evangelists have a lot invested in keeping up a big wall. You know, there are the evangelists who are these incredible forces of nature, and you could never do that. No. But, you know, if you, you know... If you tithe and the evangelist can take that money and go away and do the evangelism while you don't have to because you're not an evangelist, then we can, we can kind of be happy. And, and uh, doesn't it sound like the medieval church? <laughs> the medieval church, you had these monks and nuns and they were incredibly spiritual people. And you can't do that. You can't spend all your time in, time in prayer. You're not as devoted as those guys are. But never mind. You can, you can give your money to the church. And, and they can be the spiritual ones for you. And so often I find that happening with evangelism. Um, that we tend to think um, the evangelist is someone very different from me. And if I'm an evangelist, I quite like that because I like being special. And if you're not an evangelist, you quite like that um, because... You don't really want to do it. And maybe you'll allow the evangelist to come in and whip you up into a frenzy of excitement for about a week. And then we have a go at reaching out. And then at the end of the week, we all go, phew, well, at least nobody could say we didn't try, okay? And then the evangelist can ride off into the sunset and we can all breathe a sigh of relief and get back to ordinary Christianity. Um, And today is kind of about 
replacing that vision of what the evangelist and what evangelism is about and saying, um, yes, there is such a thing as the evangelist. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 talk about the evangelist. But the real work of the evangelist is to equip God's people for their works of evangelistic service. Um, So actually, we all have a part to play in sharing the good news. And hopefully you all had experiences, as you just shared with your neighbor about the person who helped you come to faith, you all had experiences of seeing that this is something that you're part of and that you could be that kind of person to someone else. So hopefully you'll find this a kind of a, a releasing afternoon in which you're kind of liberated to think, I don't need to be wearing camel's skin and, and uh, eating locusts, thank God. Um, but I can be the open person, the warm person, the kind person, the friend, the one who prays for their non-Christian friends and challenges them when, it, when it's appropriate. I can be that sort of person. Um, how do we be that sort of person? Well, uh, if you're here this morning, you realize it all begins with Jesus. Um, he is the Word of God, the image of God, the exact representation of God. If we're going to get our image of evangelism right, first we need to get our image of God right. And Jesus gives us our, our window onto God's life. So uh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus, the Word of God, that means He's God's explanation. If you were to cartoon this, you could imagine kind of a throne representing the control, the presence, the authority of God. And you can imagine like a a speech bubble coming out from the throne. What's inside the speech bubble? Jesus is. Jesus is the Word of God. He is the communication of God. He is what God is like. And He brought all things into existence. Through the Son of God, through the Word of God, God breathed out a universe. So think of a child breathing a, a, uh, a bubble through a bubble ring. You know, they blow through the bubble ring, and the bubble ring shapes and defines the bubble. And Jesus Christ is the one through whom God has breathed His Spirit, and the whole world has been shaped and defined by Jesus. This is Jesus' world. It operates according to His personality, His character. And that gives us confidence as we want to share the gospel with people because it means that as we share the Jesus thing, we're not just sharing a hobby with people, are we? It's not as though some people are into Formula One, some people like Pinterest, and uh, we're into the Jesus thing, you know, each to their own. It's, and yet, so often we think life is revolving around job and family and friends, and holidays, and whatever. And the Jesus stuff is just this peripheral issue. And what Christians are trying to do is say, hey, we've got this hobby, we've got this club called Christianity. Why don't you, why don't you come away from the center of all things and be introduced to this Jesus? He's great, and he'll give you all sorts of groovy vibes and feelings, and you'll feel great about yourself. And, um, but Jesus is not a hobby, is he? It's, it's actually Jesus is at the center, and the world is just mucking around at the edges in the darkness, not understanding what life is all about. And as you speak of Jesus, you are not speaking about a hobby. You're speaking about the one through whom this world has been breathed. You're speaking about the Lord of all things. And as we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the reason for all things, uh, if you've got children, you'll, you'll know that children love to play the why game, don't, don't they? You know, Why is the sky blue? Why do flowers smell nice? Why are hugs nice? Why is this? Why is this? You know, and at some stage, the answer to all those very, very many questions is because it's bedtime. Good night. You know, and, and you just you say, that's enough, because they could keep going with the why questions forever, right? But what is the ultimate end to the why game? The ultimate end to the why game is because Jesus because this is his kind of universe, and it operates according to his personality, his characteristics. As we talk about Jesus to people, we are drawing them to the center of all things. And the good news in John is that this word, verse 14, became flesh 
and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word showed up in time and space, and we've seen Him. And what I love to do in evangelism is just, I kind of get John's Gospels into people's hands. You know, I've always got John's Gospels just stashed away in my bag. If I'm ever invited to speak somewhere, I usually say, can you afford just to spend 50p per person and just give everyone a John's Gospel? And then every time I ever want to speak about Jesus, I just open it up and I just say, well, look, here's Jesus. Isn't this a wonderful vision for who God is? Whatever you think about what God is like, let me introduce you to the Jesus God. I get the phrase, the Jesus God, from a woman who came and heard me at Exeter University, and I was speaking over a couple of different days, and she was in the front row, and she was just taking copious notes about everything I said, and I got talking to her afterwards, and she said she was from Iran, and uh, she grew up going to the mosque. She grew up, you know, trying to read the Quran in Arabic. She didn't speak Arabic, but she learned to recite the words on the page. She learned to pray in Arabic without understanding what it was that she was praying. But she was a very devout Muslim. And then her uncle managed to find her the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and smuggled to her a copy of the Gospels. And she said to, to, to me, it was just the, the most thrilling thing to be reading through. She said she got halfway through Luke's gospel and she realized God cannot be the God of the Ayatollahs. He has to be the Jesus God. And I've been using that phrase ever since. I think it's, it's, it's a beautiful phrase. It's talking about what John's talking about. There are all sorts of gods out there. When people get into God conversations, they could be talking about anything, couldn't they? Have you ever been in a conversation late at night and it's two in the morning and you've been chatting about God for a couple of hours and don't you want to say, hang on, which God are we talking about here? Because it doesn't, doesn't sound like the God I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Jesus gods, this one, this word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. And I say to people, you know, when you think of someone who's full of grace, what do you think of? You know, you think of kind of sweetness and light and poise and mercy and forgiveness and kindness. Um, when you think of someone who's full of truth, what do you think of? You know, you, th- you think of someone who's quite blunt and, you know, maybe a Yorkshireman or an Australian or something, you know, just really doesn't sugarcoat things or a person of truth, right? What is it to have a person who's full of grace and truth? Truthful grace, gracious truth. Well, look at Jesus. And often when I'm doing evangelism, I'll I'll open up John's gospel and I'll say, look, this is what it looks like when God shows up. Here's Jesus. He's the word of God. He's explaining what God's like. Let's just see. And I just sort of take them through and I say, look, here's the next heading in John's gospel. John chapter 2. What's the first thing that happens when Jesus comes saying, I want to explain God to you? What's the first thing he does? What's the first thing he does? Water into wine. The first sign. Okay. So he goes to a party and he brings wine. Okay, and then what's the very next thing that happens in John's Gospel? Anyone know? Anyone know? The next thing that happens in John chapter 2? He leaves the party, brings wine. Next place he goes is the temple. And what does he bring? A whip, right? This guy's interesting, don't you think? He goes to the party and he brings wine. He goes to the temple and he brings whip, brings a whip. He goes to the party and brings grace. He goes to the temple and he brings truth. It happens all the way through John's Gospel. Turn to the next page, and you get Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Nicodemus is rich, righteous, respectable, powerful. And Jesus says to him, famously, you've got to be born again, buddy. Okay? And I, and I say to the non-Christian, have you ever heard that phrase, born again? Yeah, I've heard that. I said, have you ever thought about how really offensive it is to say someone needs to be born again? You know, imagine that. Imagine next Sunday at church... Someone's pregnant and they, they, they give birth in the week and maybe, maybe they even make it to church on Sunday. That'd be, that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Um, they get to church even that first Sunday and there is this gorgeous little girl or boy. And imagine you come over and you say, oh, when, when was he born? And they say, oh, Tuesday. And you go, mm, I think he needs to be born again. Like, what? That's, how offensive is that? What's wrong with his first birth, right? And if that's offensive to say to a five-day-old... How offensive is it to say to a 40-year-old, respectable, righteous, powerful man like Nicodemus? And if he says it to Nicodemus, he says it to us all. We must be born again. 
that's truth, right? He's, he's really just laying down the truth to this guy who is the right religion, the right lifestyle, everything. He's, he's got it right. And Jesus says, nope, got to be born again. Then I say, look, turn the page. What's next? Ah, let me tell you this story. There's this story about Jesus and this woman who's from another country, a country that was despised by the Jews and the, and the Samaritans despised the Jews and the Jews despised the Samaritans. And according to all Jesus' followers, this woman is the wrong gender. She's the wrong lifestyle. She's the wrong religion. She's the wrong nationality. She's just wrong, 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 wrong. And what does Jesus do? He's just overflowing with grace and mercy. He offers her the living waters of his spirits, forgiveness, eternal life. It's just on a hair trigger. He just, he just unloads heaven's richest blessings on this woman who is just wrong, 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 wrong. Who is this Jesus, right? Full of grace and truth and truth and grace. And at this stage, I'm just trying to say, this guy's interesting, don't you think? You might not yet think he's God, but wouldn't it be amazing if he is? Wouldn't it be amazing if this is what God is like? So, so often in evangelism, what we tend to do is we tend to say, I hope you believe in God. Do you believe in God? And, and if the non-Christian does believe in God, we go, oh, phew, okay, that's good. That's, that's the first hurdle jumped, okay? We've navigated that. They believe in God. And now I've just got to convince them that Jesus is the God that they've always believed in. Isn't that the way we think? As though God is the way to Jesus. But didn't Jesus in John 14 say, no, he is the way to God? But so often we think, we hope, we hope that our non-Christian friend is already a believer in God. And then all we need to do now is just convince them of Jesus. And, then, you know. and if they don't believe in God, we think, oh, I'm doubly snookered, right? I'm doubly behind the eight ball because now not only do I have to convince them about Jesus, I first of all have to convince them about God. And John's Gospel and Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 and the whole New Testament is here to tell you, no, you don't, you don't need to first introduce someone to God and then introduce them to Jesus. You just need to introduce them to the Jesus God. So a big question in evangelism is, is always, which God are we talking about here? If they do believe in God, okay, which God are we talking about? Is it the God of the Ayatollahs? Is it the God of the Iranian uh, religious elites? Or is it the Jesus God? Is it the God of the pub discussion? Is it the God of generalized Western theism? Or is it the Jesus God? See, if someone says they believe in God, we don't, we don't know what to do with that unless we ask the which God question. And conversely, if someone says they don't believe in God, well, you've still got the same question, don't you? Which God don't you believe in? I find that very helpful to ask people. When, when they say to me, I don't believe in God, I just say, well, which God don't you believe in? Uh, I got the line from uh, Tom Wright. Um, so he used to be the Bishop of Durham, and uh, he's an academic. He's written many, many books, and um, I love a lot of Tom Wright's writings. Some of them I've got some questions about, but he was once a, a chaplain at Worcester College, Oxford, and he would get all sorts of very, very secular, you know, 19-year-olds coming up to university and thinking they were the bee's knees, and and uh, actually, in Freshers' Week, you had to spend time with the chaplain, which I'm sure was not the most rock and roll Freshers' Week activity in the university calendar. But you had to spend some time with the chaplain. And uh, so he would get all these atheist agnostics students who would say to him, actually, chaplain, I don't, don't really believe in God. And he would say, which God don't you believe in? And then they would kind of say, you know, just God, the big guy. You know, the, the, and they would describe this distant individual High on power, low on personality. That kind of, maybe Thor-like, maybe he's got a thunderbolt to, to send your way if you haven't been, if you've ended up on the naughty list and not the nice list. You know, Santa in the sky, but, you know, probably not quite as much fun. And what did Tom Wright say to them? Yeah, I don't believe in that God either. Well done, you know. You are right not to believe in such a God. Let me tell you about Jesus. As we talk about Jesus, it's game on in our evangelism. And that's why the first thing I've, I've, I've given for you here is a sentence up your sleeve. I'm going to give you four sentences up your sleeve uh, this weekend. And the first one is, that's what I love about Jesus. Um, hopefully, you've got a way of finishing that sentence. That's what I love about Jesus. Is there something about Jesus right now that you think, that's I'm loving this about Jesus right now. Maybe you've been reading in the, in the Gospels something about Jesus, reading in the Bible something about Jesus. 
or he's teaching you things in your life right now, how would you finish that sentence? Well, you can test it out by turning to your neighbor right now. And let's spend a few minutes now. Just turn to your neighbor and see if you can finish that sentence. That's what I love about Jesus. Go. Okay, hopefully we've got some things we love about Jesus. Hopefully. Um, If you don't know how to finish this sentence, please don't do any evangelism. Like, please, honestly. If if, If you can't finish a sentence like, that's what I love about Jesus, please don't share Jesus with anyone else. The world does not need to hear about a dry, lifeless faith, okay? Um, uh, one, of the, one of the most convicting verses on evangelism is uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. Jesus says about the Pharisees that they travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when they do, they make them twice as much a son of hell as they are, right? <laughs> you know, and none of us are Pharisees in this room, but t- t- to whatever degree that we have a dead faith in us, then we will just multiply that dead faith. The number one thing we need in evangelism is a lively trust in Jesus. Uh, Because if you don't think it's good news, then why on earth will your friend think it's good news? Um, The very first thing we need to do, Matthew 12, verse 34, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We all struggle with the words, and Jesus says, I've I've diagnosed the problem. Um, There's a heart problem. We've all got a heart problem. We're all sluggish when it comes to our faith, and we need to fill our hearts with Jesus so that we overflow to others. Um, but hopefully you've had the experience of, through your words, overflowing a little bit to one another with what you love about Jesus. Uh, anyone want to share with the room some of the things you discussed? Who else is like that in life? Like, we talk about unconditional love, don't we? But Jesus actually, actually loves us like that. Yeah, amazing. Whoever's without sin can stone her. He's the one without sin. And he says, I do not condemn you. Wow. And I love, I love attaching things to Bible stories as well. It's just great to be able to anchor it in the life of Jesus and say, this is what he's like. And, and have you read a gospel since becoming an adult? Well, here's a John's gospel. I've got one in my bag. There we go. That's what you can do. 50p. Yeah. I, <laughs> you, maybe you could shoulder the burden of the 50p at that point. <laughs> Yeah, love it. Okay, what else? Yeah, because I bet that woman felt convicted as well. I mean, there she is. Uh, Why should the God of the universe be interested in little old me? Actually, when you look at Jesus, and my goodness, he becomes a single cell in Mary's womb. He's wriggling around in the manger. He goes to the cross. I think he he is interested in the in the details, and and answered prayer is a great way of uh, testifying to that as well. Someone is on the throne, and it's not just anyone. It's Jesus who's on the throne. How amazing, you know. It's not that chaos is reigning, and it's not that sex, money, and power are reigning, and it's not that Allah or karma are reigning. Jesus is reigning. What an amazing thing. Yeah. What we've been doing with one another, that's kind of, that's kind of why we have church. Like... Um, there's a lovely little book called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and, uh, and he talks about why, you, why do we have Christian community? Why do we have church? And he used this very interesting phrase. He said, we, we come together because the Christ in the word of our brother and sister is stronger than the Christ of our own hearts. And he doesn't, he doesn't mean by that but that the Holy Spirit is weak within us. What he means is, when I look within and try to tell myself that Jesus loves me, that's, that's good, and it's good for me to encourage myself. But when you come to me and you say, Glenn, Jesus loves you and gave himself for you, it's like, oh, wow. Um, and hopefully you had some of that experience just now, talking about that's what I love about Jesus. When someone else puts words to their love for Jesus, it's oh, suddenly the Christ in my heart kind of leaps at the Christ in the word of my brother or sister. Um, and, but I often say to people, look, if we're not telling the gospel to non-Christians, might it be because we're not actually telling the gospel to Christians? I, I, I quite often um, do street evangelism and that sort of thing. You know, I'm that guy. But uh, I, I hopefully do it in a, in a warm and friendly way. But um, 
we've got a little team and we go out in the streets and we've got in- invitations to church and we just say, Hi, hello, I'm Glenn, this is Kevin, we go to All Souls Church and you'd be really welcome. And while they're looking at the invitation, we just say, and do you have a faith yourself? It's very low tech, incredibly, you know, that's literally the only battle plan we've got. We've got an invitation to church and while they're looking at it, we say, do you have a faith? And, and what, I, what I've found is in, in about 16 years of doing this, um, I, I think maybe once in 16 years I've had a Saturday afternoon where somebody where, where I've not had any gospel conversation in an hour. I've just struck out every time. Maybe, maybe once in 16 years. So, like, just having scores and scores and hundreds and hundreds of gospel conversations with people, just literally walking up to a stranger and talking to them about, about Jesus. And this is not just common to me. This, this is when you talk to anybody who does this sort of thing. You find that as you scatter the seed wider and wider... Um, lo and behold, there's good soil. There's a lot of thorny soil. There's a lot of rocky soil. There's a lot of path as well. But in Mark chapter 4 terms, the more you scatter the seed, you, the more you realize how hard some people are, but also how open some people are. Um, but I've always been amazed that on a Saturday afternoon, I can go up to a stranger. In fact, I can go up to four or five strangers and have brilliant gospel conversations with total non-Christians on the Saturday. And then in Sunday, on Sunday in church, among the Lord's people... I talk about the weather and the cricket. And I'm, I'm telling good news to non-Christians. And yet, with Christians, we just talk about the weather and the apprentice and strictly come dancing, right? Um, wouldn't it be great if we had a culture where that's what I love about Jesus was, was what we do with one another? Because I think if we're not good at telling the gospel to Christians... How are we going to be good at telling the gospel to non-Christians? Um, but hopefully, as we, as we gospel one another, it starts to overflow and out we go. And it becomes more natural to do it um, with, with non-Christians. So let's be gospeling one another. Um, now, we're beginning with Jesus. We're beginning with who he is. And, and this is the foundational aspect of evangelism. Really, all of evangelism is that's what I love about Jesus. I often go into universities and we do these like Q&A times and people try and throw at me the thorniest questions they can think of about Christianity. And my usual response is, I don't know, let me tell you about Jesus. Like literally, that's it. And, and uh, I, I think you'll find the same um, as you talk to people about all sorts of questions. There'll be a thousand things you don't know anything about. You, you won't know how to answer questions. That's okay. It's really okay. You can just say, I don't know, but let me tell you about Jesus. There was this time in John chapter 8 when dot, 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 and, and away you go. That's, that's the heart of evangelism. But as we come to Jesus, um, Jesus is going to give us uh, a vision of God, the world, and ourselves so what I thought we'd do, um, just to close out this session, is to think about um, 321, which is a little gospel presentation um, I've worked on, in which you can unpack the goodness of the good news uh, according to three different steps. So Jesus gives us a vision for God, and he shows us about God's threeness. Uh, Jesus gives us a vision for the world, and he talks about the world's two-ness, and Jesus a vision for ourselves, and he talks about our oneness, three, two, and one. Um, so should we have a look at the video? Is, is, that, all, yeah, is that all primed and, and, and ready? Um, and then I'll kind of unpack how I think this can be used in personal evangelism. In three, two, one. Excellent. God is a loving union of three. What do you make of Jesus? He spoke as the King of Heaven, but served like the lowest slave. He claimed to be the hope of the world, yet gave up his life on the cross. Have you ever wondered how Jesus saw the big issues, God, the world, and you? Here's life according to Jesus in 3, 2, 1. 3. God is a loving union of three. I don't know how you picture God, but according to the Bible, Jesus is our picture of God. He's called the image of God, the word of God, the exact representation of God. To know God, we should look at Him. And what do we see? A loving union of three. Here's one picture of it from Matthew chapter 3. 
Jesus was standing one day in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit hovered over him like a dove, and the Father called from heaven, You are my Son, who I love, with you I am well pleased. According to the Bible, this family of love predated and produced the world. And there's good news. The Son of God has come to invite us in. 2. The world is shaped by two representatives. The Bible begins with the story of Adam. Adam is a name that means humanity. He's a representative. In the beginning, he turned from God, turned in on himself, and plunged the world down to death and curse. This is the life we know, the life of selfishness and death. Jesus, though, is the second Adam. Where Adam and all of us fail, the Son of God took charge. He lived the life that we should live. Then on the cross, he died the death that we should go with. On Easter Sunday, he rose again to new life. And this life is ours if we are one with him. One. You are one with Adam. Be one with Jesus. We're all a part of the selfishness of Adam, and we all feel the curse of his broken world. But Jesus offers us new life. If we trust in Jesus, we become one with him. We can give him our selfishness and sin, and he deals with it on the cross. In return, he gives us himself forever. Connected to him, we enter the family of God, and now, together, we can know his Father as our Father, his Spirit as our Spirit, and his future as our future. You see, Jesus will come again to raise up this world the way he was raised, to eternal life and peace. On that day, God will judge the world, confirming his no to Adam and his yes to Jesus. That's life according to Jesus. What's our response? Right now, the Son of God offers you life, hope, forgiveness, and eternal love in the family of God. Call out to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. pass it on. You can take one and pass it on that way. Um, so I'm just uh, handing out some tracts. Um, so we've just had these, these done, little uh, gospel tracts with 3, 2, 1. So you can keep them in your bag next to your John's Gospel. And uh, if you have opportunity, you can say, ah, have you got three minutes? I'd love to explain uh, the gospel to you in 3, 2, 1. Um, So a little test, what does three refer to? God, Trinity, yeah. Father, Son, and Spirit, united in love. What does two refer to? I'm hearing world, Christ, two representatives, yeah. Who are, who are the two representatives? Adam and Jesus. Adam takes us down, Jesus raises us up. And then oneness, what does is, what is one refer to? Yeah, be one with Jesus. And then when you're one with Jesus, you get his father as your father, you get his spirit as your spirit, you get his future as your future. It's for free and it's forever. Good news, right? Good news. It's good to know that you've got good news, right? You know, if, you, if you're going to sell a product, you kind of got to believe in the product. Um, first thing we've got to do is we've, we've got to know that what we've got is good news, that it's the best news in the world. Heard someone describe the other day, it is the, it is the ultimate love story. You could not think of a greater love story because you could not have a more exalted prince marrying, marrying a, a more lowly pauper and bringing her up to, you know, bringing up to his heavenly heights. You could not have a more undeserved love from someone so great um, loving us who are so unworthy. This is the great love story and uh, we get to, pre- to preach it. Um, to the world. But as, as we talk about um, three, um, people get twitchy. Christians get twitchy. People are like, oh man, Trinity? You can't talk about Trinity. Non-Christians won't understand Trinity, they say. And underneath, what's the truth? I don't know about Trinity. <laughs> I don't really believe in Trinity. Well, well, we need to, therefore, 
understand as Christians? What do, we, what do we mean when we're talking about Trinity? Trinity is just a way of squashing together two words, tri and unity. Really, that's, that's literally what it is. It's the three unity, the tri unity, the Trinity. Um, so it's just talking about this reality that when you meet Jesus Christ, he instantly introduces you to two other people because he is the Christ, the Son of God, right? And what does Christ mean? Anointed one, anointed with, with the Holy Spirit. All the prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil, this symbol of the Holy Spirit. Here comes Jesus. He is just Christed to, to, to the max with the Holy Spirit, full to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. So he's the Christ, the Son of God. So instantly, he's introducing you to his Spirit and his Father. To know Jesus, you're already Trinitarian. You might not know the language. That's okay. You don't need to know the language. But you do need to know this concept. You do need to know that Jesus is the Son of the Father, full of the Spirit. Um, Why do you need to to know this? Why does it matter? Well, it's important to get God right, don't you think? If we're we're going to talk about God in the world, don't you think it's important to to actually be correct and, uh, and to portray God in the way that the Bible portrays God. So it's, it's, it's very important to portray God correctly. It's very important to portray Jesus correctly. Because here's what happens. If you start your evangelism and you just say, God, 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 and then you bring in Jesus much later, what are people going to think? They're going to think this Jesus guy, he's, he's like a subordinate, isn't he? He's just, he's just like this, this lowly servant, maybe even an exalted servant, but just a servant of God. Yeah, It's what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe, isn't it? Jehovah's Witnesses believe there is Jehovah, and Jehovah is one. He is a, a single individual. And who is Jesus? Jesus was created by Jehovah in order to create the world. So Jesus is created to be a servant, Right, and it's very interesting. I was, I was preaching uh, in a church in Seven Oaks, and um, I was preaching some of this stuff from John chapter one, and and preaching Trinity evangelistically. And you might think, what's the point of preaching Trinity evangelistically? Well, here's one reason: there was a Jehovah's Witness who was there. Uh, he'd been brought along by his wife. She's a Christian. She's been praying for him for thirty years, and he comes along, and and he's just in tears at the end of this this service. And, and, and he just says, if this is true, this is the greatest news ever. And, and I said, well, what's it been like going to Kingdom Hall? What's it been like in the Watchtower? What's it been like as a Jehovah's Witness? And he said, it's been slavery. I said, well, no wonder. If Jesus is simply a servant, all he can do is bring you into his slavery. If that's all he has, that's all he can share with you. If all Jesus can ever do is call God, God, Jehovah then all he can ever do is bring you into a position of submission, slavery to Jehovah. If he is the son of the father, he can bring you into his family. That's different, isn't it? That's, that's where the unconditional grace of Jesus comes in. Because Jesus is not just a servant serving God and he can bring you into service. He is a son eternally beloved of the father and he can bring you into that. And it was just a great privilege to be able to pray with this guy who was just just over the moon to hear the good news of the three. But unless you talk about Jesus as the eternal Son of the Father, full of the Spirit, you just don't get to go in these places um, theologically. Uh, Why does it matter? We need to get the cross right. Um, Now, quite, quite often when people describe the cross, they've kind of, if you just say, there is a single individual called God, and there's a sin problem over here. And then you say, ah, but there's a solution to the problem. Over there, there's a guy called Jesus. And God zaps Jesus with your sin so that you over here can be saved. And the non-Christian goes, that's a bit weird. Why does God kind of take out all his anger and rage on this guy over here? He's just this third party, right? innocent Jesus just comes along out of the blue and God zaps him with judgment so that I can be kept safe. That, that doesn't really work, does it? Whereas what is the Christian you know, doctrine of what's happening on the cross? 2 Corinthians 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That actually the Son is not this third party over here who's getting zapped by a God that's over there. 
It's actually the Son of the Father is volunteering to take the sin and judgment of you and me on that cross. And actually, it's, it's, it's part of this same movement of God wanting to reconcile the world. It's not that Jesus is this distant, detached scapegoat over here, uh, which is sometimes how the, how the cross um, can be described. And so you get some people sort of reacting against preaching too much on the cross because it sounds like cosmic child abuse. There is Jesus kind of, you know, zapping this other guy over there. No, it's God is in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. It's the, the Son of the Father voluntarily taking our sin and judgment onto Himself, dying, rising again up into the life of God. This is what's going on at the cross. And the gospel, we need to get the gospel right. That's pretty important, isn't it? And if you just start with a distant individual, um, then if God has always been alone and then He brings about a world... The only place that the world can fit is just underneath him. Um, and the only response that you can make to that individual God is bow, submit. Okay? Now, there's a, there's a, there's a perfectly respectable religion out there. It's called Islam. But it, it's kind of cornered the market on that view of God and that view of salvation. There is a single individual called Allah. And you know what Islam means? Islam means submission. Because Allah does not have partners. He does, not, he does not associate with anyone else. He is alone. And therefore, the only place you can fit is underneath Allah, and you bow down. And that, and that, is, that is salvation. What about our God? What about a father who's always been loving his son in the joy of the Holy Spirit? He likes company, right? He wants company. And he, he wants to have a whole family, billions more, who are adopted into the family, calling Jesus their brother and God their father, filled with that same spirit. And so the gospel that you can unfold once you've understood three is a gospel that really preaches. It's a gospel that really sings. It's a gracious gospel because you've begun with three. Does anyone have any, any questions about that? Yeah. And the way to do it is not to say, let me describe Trinitarian theology to you. The way to do it is, that's what I love about Jesus. And you, and you just, as you talk about Jesus, you cannot help but mention his Father and his Spirit. Because if you're anchoring yourself to the Gospels and, and everything that Jesus does, you are instantly being drawn into this picture uh, of what God is like. So Jesus, he's the Son of God. And, and one of the ways I do it is I just kind of say, look, he describes the night before he dies, John chapter 17, verse 24, he says, Father, you loved me from before the foundation of the world. So there's this, this image of, you know, this Niagara Falls that we were thinking about this morning. The Niagara Falls of love from the Father to the Son. I don't know what your picture of God is, but in the Bible, Jesus' picture of God is, he is a Niagara Falls of love. He's always been loved, always been blessed with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus comes from that family to join our family so that we and our family can be born again to join his family. I use those sorts of terms. I don't, I don't kind of go into the Nicene Creed and explain homoousius and consubstantial and... Um, but those family terms are really, really, um, really important. Yeah, speaking family terms. Okay, God, a loving family. Jesus joins us at Christmas to be our elder brother, so that we can join him in his family. That'll preach, won't it? That'll preach. That's session two. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly what session. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was in a university talking to a, a, a girl, she was an English student, and, um, and I was doing my whole John's Gospel thing, and I was saying, wouldn't it be amazing, go away and read this, because wouldn't it be incredible if God walked planet Earth and he was like this? Wouldn't it be amazing if God showed up? And she said, no. I said, why? She said, that would be really inconvenient. I said, what do you mean inconvenient? She said, well, I, I live life the way I want to live life. To be honest, I don't really want God showing up, because he might have other ideas. I was like, well, yeah, he does. <laughs> um, and that's just a polite way of saying what we all do in our hearts, and it's what nailed Jesus to the cross, isn't it? Um, it's very inconvenient to God, for God to show up in his own world, because then he might act like God or something, you know? Um, but that just reveals the sinfulness of our hearts. And, and we'll, we'll talk in the next session about how we, how we go about convicting people of, of sin. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that is the mad blindness of, of hell, isn't it? <laughs> right there. That is the mad blindness of, we've been talking about a God who is light and life and love, 
and we prefer the darkness and death and disconnection so of life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And do, do you see how mad that is? Um, if we are dependent creatures, which we are, you know, I, I can't go for a couple of hours without water or food, you know, I am extremely dependent for life coming from beyond me. You know, like Howard was praying, you know, uh, as we prayed a grace um, and thanked God for the food, we were saying, look, we are dependent creatures and I, I really can't go for more than three days without water or I'm dead, I'm worm food. To imagine that spiritually I am self-sufficient um, is, is, is bizarre, really. If God is the ultimate life source, to prefer life on my own terms is like the hungry person prefer, preferring their starvation. And there are stages of starvation where people don't feel hungry anymore. People can go so, so long without food that that, that kind of shuts down and they, and they don't even feel hungry anymore. And my goodness, they are pretty far gone at that stage. And that's, that's a desperate sign. Um, if you, if you feel like you don't want or need God, that is a, a really desperate sign of your need for God. Um, but we'll think in the next session about how we, how we open eyes to that. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Which God are they running from is a, is a pretty good question to ask. Um, and yeah, and clearly we, we got talking about that. Um, but even, even with her, so that's, that's probably the first thing to say to her, but, but given that we were talking about, ah, I'm talking about this Jesus God, even so, even so, even with the Jesus God who wants to give her life and life in all its fullness, that's pretty inconvenient, you know. I want to get a boyfriend. And you're like, okay, but, you know. Um, so there is, there is a madness to sin, and we'll think about ways of convicting people about that uh, in the next session. Um, we're going to have some, a cup of tea in a second, but as we have the cup of tea... Um, our second sentence up your sleeve that you can be thinking about is, that's what I love about being a Christian. Hopefully, as we've described the three, Jesus from that family joining our family so that we can join the family of God, hopefully there's, there's something about that that you quite like as a Christian, and you can be thinking about how you would explain that to other people. Maybe over to your coffee, you can finish that sentence with people. That's what I love about being a Christian. Let's have some tea. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.